Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann and with me as usual is Rich Krejci. Hello Rich. Hey, how's it going Jason? Doing good. We are uh, right at the end of the season and uh, one of the bigger non-Russell Westbrook doing crazy uh, scoring things and rebounding and and assist things is... uh, Lance Stevenson returning back with the uh, Pacers. Uh, this has kind of created some major good vibes for the Pacers at the near the end of the season. And um, we just thought, okay, it, this is an interesting phenomenon that occurs occasionally in the NBA where uh, significant players in a team's history return for a second coming. Um, and Stevenson is not necessarily an important player in the scheme of overall NBA history, but in terms of the Pacers, I mean, he's part of some really important teams for them and they're trying to you know, perhaps recapture that magic or just, you know, just taking a flyer on a guy who's since leaving um, the Pacers has not had a great career. So I just, you know, there's, there's a lot of different types of categories of these things sort of happening. We're going to kind of get into some of the, you know, d- different ones and some key players in each one. I think it's an interesting topic to cover. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I've saw, I saw some weird stuff, you know, Lance, people were, were reacting to Lance Stevenson news of like, Oh my God, I don't know why people in Indiana are going so nuts for Lance Stevenson and stuff. And, and from the outside looking in, it probably is just like, yeah, it's like Lance Stevenson. He's like not that good, but people got to remember. I mean, the last, the beacon of joy for the Indiana Pacers was that run where they, they were giving the Miami Heat like legit run runs in the playoffs almost every single year, and Lance Stevenson was a huge part of, of them doing that. You know, obviously Roy Hibbert at the top of his powers, Paul George uh, pre-injury, and some other guys, you know, up and down that David bench. David West, really, yeah. Uh, David West, yeah, of course. But Lance Stevenson, I mean, don't, don't discredit how big of a deal he was, and I think the problem is because it now seems like so long ago because that franchise is, is so different, and they've done, you know, there's been so much turmoil, and Lance himself has, has gone under such, um, you know, had such issues since leaving Indiana that I think we forget what an important piece he was and what an important piece uh, Indiana was really to that Miami team being what they were too, because they always had a threat in the East and it was Indiana. And it w- I don't know if there was ever a, a time when people really thought the Pacers would knock them off, but there were, I mean, they brought them to game sevens. Like there were some really good games between those two. So we kind of forget it. And I think it's now because it's such ancient history and that we've moved on or whatever, but yeah, Lance Stevenson is a huge part of, of, of this generation of Indiana Pacers fans. And there's a lot of guys that we're going to talk about here who maybe in, from the outside looking in, it's like, well, it's not that big of a deal that they've come back to, you know, their team that they were at before. But in the case of Lance and these few other ones we're going to mention as well, we have some stars or whatever, but there's going to be some et cetera guys as well. And Lance is a big deal in Indiana. And I think it's a pretty fun thing that he's, he's been doing so far. And uh, early returns. I mean, obviously we're at, you know, as of this recording, it's like four or five games or whatever. He hasn't done a ton, but early returns are he's doing better than he has, you know, in previous stops, at least this season. So maybe it is a thing where he just feels comfortable there. And maybe then he does kind of resurrect his career to whatever Lance Stevenson can resurrect his career to. Uh, maybe he does that in Indiana, which would which would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll definitely note here that, you know, we we brainstormed and came up with as many of these guys as uh, possible. But we're going to talk about every one. We're going to talk about each and every one. So strap in three and a half hours of. <laughs> No? I, I'm sure I'm sure there will be some <laughs> of consequence that we uh, d- did not get into. So uh, for anyone who if we missed your favorite, we apologize for, uh, you know, failing you in this uh, matter. But I think we've we're we're going to cover this topic pretty exhaustively. So I think we'll be OK. But just want to throw that out there for the disclaimer for the uh, nitpickers in our audience. And I'm sure there's a, f- a handful you know, of nitpickers out there. So 
I mean, we'll talk about Lance, I guess, specifically first, since he is the uh, generated the topic here. And, um, you know, he left the Pacers the first time. He went to the Hornets in for agency for um, three years, $27 million, which is actually less than the Pacers' uh, five-year, $44 million um, offer, which is a little confusing to a lot of people. I, I guess he wanted the short-term deal to be able to get back into free agency sooner, but... Did not work out very well in Charlotte. He shot uh, 17% from three the uh, next season, which is one of the worst uh, seasons in regards to uh, shooting in NBA history and just uh, did not seem to get along there and was traded almost immediately the next year to the Clippers and then sort of bounced around, played for the Grizzlies for a bit, kind of helped them with their uh, one of their weird uh, end-of-season runs when they were uh, dealing with so many injuries and, and kind of had this you know patchwork group of guys. Uh, maybe a few of those guys might be considered ruffians um and uh <laughs> scoundrels if you will. yeah scoundrels perhaps yes um i think matt barnes was heavily involved uh <laughs> the uh then also this year played for the pelicans and the uh, timberwolves briefly before uh, coming back to the um before going back to the pacers and i don't believe the wolves thing i uh, i don't i don't believe that I don't, I, think it was I don't remember like, that happening. I don't think it happened. I think it was like four games, literally. Yeah, I don't, but, I don't but trust yes. that it actually happened. Yes. Ian wrote a, a piece about it on uh, – he wrote a diary um, for uh, – But has anybody actually seen it? Like I'm glad he wrote – I mean people <laughs> wrote about it and it's like yes. – but I, it, I, I'm, a consp- I'm a conspiracy theorist on the uh, okay. Stevenson-Wolves uh, tenure. I feel like – you know, you can say it yeah. all you want, but I I don't think it actually happens. So. I, I mean, you know, we we have evidence people went on the moon, but some people don't believe that. So <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. Oh, fair enough, Rich. I never took you to be a conspiracy oh, theorist, but I guess yes, in, in this yes. matter, I, I suppose so. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, I, I think his comeback has been more about the the contribution is sort of you know restoring a attitude or or just kind of bringing good vibes to the um, Pacers, making the fans feel good, remembering the teams of the past, and obviously helping them along with their uh, playoff run and going back to the only place he's really fit. I mean, this is, uh, it has, they've won three of the four games. Uh, and as of this recording, are a game ahead in uh, in the seven seed with two games left in the season. It looks like they're going to make the playoffs unless something really weird happens. Um, his first game back, uh, he first home game, uh, he had 12 points, two rebounds, three assists in 25 minutes. But the larger impact was uh, described by uh, Mark Monteith of, uh, in, in talk, talking about this uh, game. Uh, whether he was shouting encouragement from the bench, wagging his tongue to celebrate the good moments, keeping up a running dialogue with the Raptors, stopping to, da- to stare at front row fans after dropping a three-pointer, or even dribbling in for an ill-advised layup in the final seconds, Stevenson made things happen for the Pacers. So... He uh, did a little bit of everything. The whole Lance Stevenson experience was out there for the home fans in his first uh, home game back. So, you know, whether, whether it'll actually last to me, it, it's the, another odd thing for a guy who's, you know, was on 10-day contracts to be, you know, signed to a, a three-year deal. Uh, that, that's sort of an odd situation. Of course, obviously, the history between them going in. I'm not, I'm not sure what the guaranteed uh, years are. There, there might not be totally guaranteed money for all of that. But still interesting to see. Hopefully, it'll work out. But as we're going to get to... A, some of these situations work out very well, and a lot of them, only the good vibes do not last very long. Yeah, we'll see about Lance. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I'll hedge my bets on that one. I, I don't know. But, hey, you know, this is his home in a lot of ways, so I'm confident maybe, but it is still Lance Stevenson, so he's always a little uh, uh, yeah. a little interesting there. But, yeah, I, I'm hopeful for him because I always like – I think an NBA with a, a fun guy like Lance Stevenson in there is an NBA that I like, so – Yes, yes. Um, yeah, fun on the court, anyway. Yeah, like, yeah I don't know about it. Uh, yeah, had good. had a few uh, off the court, uh, some un- unfortunate things happen that may make it less fun. But on the court, yeah, fun guy. So, um, 
Yeah, so I you know, I guess we'll get into the first category, which is really the rarest category of guys who are, you know, acknowledged superstars, Hall of Fame level players returning basically, you know, when they're in their prime or, or still, you know, producing at an extremely high level. Uh, the, the prodigal sons, if you will, they're, they're, they're sent away for or, or leave, uh, you know, for a certain reason, but come back and, um, you know, either they're it's, – it's obvious that this guy is going to be, you know, the, uh, the, the, the savior of the franchise or maybe it's not obvious and they turn out to be much better than anybody expected. So I think we have a, an instance of each we're going to get into in pretty good detail. Yeah, uh, the first one we're going to get into, uh, LeBron James, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. As you may have heard, Jason, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, LeBron James, yeah. uh, he announced that he would sign with the Miami Heat uh, on a live ESPN special called The Decision many, many years ago. I don't know if you were aware of that or if you read anything about that, but it yeah. did indeed happen. Uh, the I've famous, heard a couple things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, a, a few things have been written here and there, but uh, l- yeah. luckily it hasn't, people didn't go too nuts about it. They're like, you know, he's a free yeah. agent, he could go wherever he wants. That's, he's more than allowed to. That's yeah, his contractual, yeah. you know, the union, the, you know, collectively bargained right to go wherever he wants to. It's yeah. fine. So. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to have a TV special to announce it, I mean, hey, it, you know, efficient. Yeah, right. Just don't uh, yeah. don't donate the money to charity, or else everybody yeah, gets really gives mad. Jim Gray some work, which we like. You know. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Anything that can yeah. can, can, can line Jim Gray's pockets are a okay by uh, us. But uh, uh, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is, of course, the famous "I'm taking my talents to South Beach." Uh, of course, the background of you know LeBron James, of course, drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers from you know Ohio, was the prodigal son by every. Me- I mean that that's what he was. I mean that 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 term almost fits him to, to a T. Uh, some good years, some bad years with the. Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, they got to an NBA final very, you know, early in his tenure. Then they kind of struggled to get out of the East and had some issues here and there. And this was a, a big decision that everybody was, was, I mean, it was titled the decision and it was a big deal of, of what the hell is LeBron going to do? We don't have to tell you that, but um, some interesting stuff too. There is a book that uh, as we're recording this, I think it's coming out either today or tomorrow. Brian Windhorst uh, is doing a book about uh, the next decision that we're going to talk about a little bit, but I know there's some issues or, or some discussion about this original decision in it as well. It's, it's about LeBron and sort of his movement around the Cavs, but uh, during this free agency period, he was contact, uh, uh, contract, uh, contacted God damn it, by uh, several teams, including the Bulls, the Clippers, the Heat, the Knicks, the Nets, and, of course, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who wanted him to not leave. Um, and he teamed up with Chris Bosh, who signed as a free agent with Miami, leaving uh, Toronto, and Dwayne Wade, who re-upped with Miami to create a new big three. So that was LeBron, of course, leaving the Cavaliers and going to the Miami Heat, but we're not interested in that. We're interested in him coming back, which... Um, after four seasons and two championships in Miami, LeBron comes back to Cleveland. Uh, he revealed ver- via in a much better way, uh, PR-wise, uh, in a first-person essay in Sports Illustrated that he intended to return to the Cavaliers and to bring a title to his hometown. Uh, a month after his signing, uh, the Cavaliers acquired Kevin Love uh, from the Minnesota Timberwolves and then formed a new star trio uh, with Kyrie Irving. So it's Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love. And LeBron James. Uh, Expectation-wise, I mean, it's LeBron James coming off of, you know, four seasons, two titles, you know, four straight NBA Finals with Miami Heat. Uh, It was a big deal. He was going to come to Cleveland and he was going to win them a title. They were going to be a contender. They were going to be in the mix every single year that he's there. And so far, so good as far as um, his things. But before we get to that, we'll we'll go back to his first game, though. October 30th, 2014. It was versus the New York Knicks. His first game back with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, 17 points, four assists, five rebounds, eight turnovers. Not a great game by LeBron James standards is actually his his eighth worst game score of the year and if people don't remember and, and I know Jason uh, you'll probably remember about this because I, I I think we we almost I, we were doing the podcast at this point right 
Uh, yes. We, it was, okay, so I, yeah. I'm, I'm positive we talked about this a little bit, too, but the people that don't remember, LeBron got to Cleveland, then had, like, this weird period where he, like, wasn't that good for, like, a few months, and nobody was really quite sure, and then he kind of chilled off for a little bit, took some time, and, and came back, but uh, that original game that I'm talking about, the October 3rd, was actually his eighth worst game score of the entire season, so it, uh, it was one of his worst games the entire year. Uh, he was quoted afterwards, it was a special night, I'm glad uh, it was great, but I'm also glad that it's over. So LeBron, uh, of course, was ready to kind of get out of there uh, and get things going for Cleveland, and, and things have, so far, turned out pretty well. He's two NBA Finals trips and one championship, so <laughs> not bad at all. Uh, and this year, of course, all signs point to Cleveland, at least returning to the NBA Finals or, or, or definitely getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. I would pretty well bet that they're going to make the NBA Finals as far as they win a championship or not. Who knows? But you get to three NBA Finals in three years with LeBron in Cleveland. I think that's about all you can ask for, especially if you got that one championship, which he really wanted to get in Cleveland. So uh, that was LeBron leaving and then returning as the prodigal son. Yeah, and I um, I mean, obviously they've had struggles for the last six weeks or so and, and, and have not looked good, but I, I'm i pretty confident they will turn around at least well enough to make the finals. Whether they can actually win is another question, but of course they didn't look didn't seem like it last year and they uh, they pulled that off, so you never know. Um, yeah, I mean, LeBron, I think the early in Cleveland, I mean, I, I think the struggles were compared to the normal, to the LeBron struggles, you know, the relative speaking rather than, you know, LeBron, r- rather than struggles for, of course, an or- ordinary player. But definitely, yeah, there, there was some weirdness for their, for the first few months in uh, Cleveland. I mean, it, honestly, I mean, there were, there, there were certainly expectations that, hey, LeBron team's going to make the finals, but it's, it's pretty remarkable that they actually managed to do that considering you know what they had to do to put that team you know all those new pieces together you know love and irving being really inexperienced for the uh in the playoffs um neither having actually made the playoffs before and yeah and then the patrick they had to do after love got hurt and then irving you know later getting hurt in the finals to be able to accomplish what they did is pretty remarkable um even though obviously they they had some great talent and it, it was more a team built for you know, uh, a couple of years down the road, making right. the finals as opposed to that year, just having you know LeBron, who's like I said, almost automatically going to take you to the finals. Obviously, it, but but it was a little bit of a you know it, it took longer to gel. It wasn't like they were ready made, in, in right? That and, and it was that way in Miami too, and people kind of forget yeah. that too. It took a, a year almost until Miami got it. But you know, it's funny when like you struggle and still like ah darn, we're in the NBA finals, but we're just not there yet. We were just not right. quite there yet, and that's uh, people also forget too that that Cleveland team that made it to the NBA finals against the Warriors was was. LeBron LeBron and, uh, and like Matt, Matt Delvadova was like the second best because everybody was hurt and like the team was just falling apart or whatever. And it was just LeBron yeah. on his own leading that team. To, you know, obviously the, the Warriors won and, and won pretty easily. But I mean, what LeBron was able to do with the team that he had left after, you know, Kyrie and, and, and Love had been hurt was uh, was pretty remarkable as well. And that seems like such ancient history, though, because they come back, you know, next year, or, you know, the next year and and beat, you know, the Warriors after being down three one. So that that's always the and that's sort of clouded that first year. But yeah, the first year was was there was a lot of weirdness there. But uh uh, I, I don't think Cleveland uh, Cavaliers fans would trade anything uh, <laughs> to, you know, they have the three straight or what, what I'm assuming will be three straight NBA finals with, uh, you know, LeBron back there. And, and I don't think he's ever leaving again. I think he's pretty well uh, a Cleveland Cavalier for life now. So I, I would imagine so. Yes. So next um, we have Steve Nash, uh, who uh, some may not realize had a, a first go round with the Suns in 97 and 98. He was a. Uh, he was drafted in the 96 draft famously uh didn't play a whole lot in those first uh, two seasons because he was behind uh, kevin johnson and jason kidd uh <laughs> kidd was required uh, early on in nash's rookie season and this kid you know absolutely um you know really at the beginning of, of his prime and was you know great player there kevin johnson was still really effective even though he was aging and would re- retire i believe in 99 um 
So, yeah, I mean, he didn't do a whole lot there. I mean, he showed some you know, talent in his second year. He started, uh, you know, shooting was better. Um, you know, he averaged 9.1 points per game, 3.4 assists per game in 22 minutes uh, in, in 90, 1998, averaging 22 minutes. So uh, the trade in, in the 98 offseason was uh, traded to Dallas for uh, – Martin Mersep, uh, Bubba Wells, the draft rights to Pat Garrity, and a first-round pick that became Sean Marion. So that who is uh, Martin Mersep? <laughs> I've never heard of Martin Mersep. Do you know anything uh, about Martin Mersep? I, I do not know about anything about Martin Mersep or Bubba Wells. Yeah, Bubba Wells is he, not. That's an NASCAR racer. That's not uh, an NBA player. So. <laughs> and um, of course, you know, Dallas will sign anybody. They'll sign quarterbacks. So maybe he is an NASCAR <laughs> yeah, racer. You never know. As we're yeah. recording this, Tony Romo is suiting up. So yeah. uh, he's an Estonian, Martin Mersep. So it's a double umlaut there on the ooh. Uh, so we're we're probably mispronouncing his name horribly, but whatever. Well, I who cares? <laughs> our, our apologies. I, I'm sure our our Estonian listeners will care very much. But um, so Nash was hey, an all star. We're, we're big there. Don't, uh, don't I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure we are. I'm sure we're huge. I mean, we're big everywhere. So Estonia would be no exception. Um, and you know, obviously Nash was you know he was really good for Dallas. Um, led you know, them to their real you know first success in more than a decade. You know with uh. Dirk Davitsky and Michael Finley, kind of a, the, the big three that they had. Um, and, and they had a really good run. And we've talked about them in the early 2000s, you know, um, made a uh, Western Conference Finals, you know, really w- was an effective team. Um, and uh, it, it looked like, you know, they they could still be, a, a you know, maybe by 2004, they kind of reached, you know, what they had. Uh, Nash at that point was 30. And um, Mark Cuban, the Dallas owner, not really interested in bringing him back for a huge, you know, long-term contract. He was signed for six years, sixty-five million. There was a big free agent ruling with uh, New Suns owner Robert Sarver, the Colangelos, Amar Stoudemire, Rex Chapman. I guess was there as well. And uh, but you know, there there was um, you know, understandably fear from Dallas side that like eh, investing this much into a thirty-year-old with a you know with a wonky back, not a great idea. But obviously, it worked out tremendously well for the uh, Suns. They, uh, you know, much more than they would ever have expected. You know, obviously two MVPs, three Western Conference Finals appearances in six seasons. And, you know, and, you know, along with, uh, you know, Mike D'Antoni, Marion, Stoudemire, those guys, you know, Joe Johnson initially, uh, you started, led this, you know, seven seconds or less era that transformed the NBA and became this, you know, this, this, uh, transcendent team, even though unfortunately they did not make an NBA finals, but, um, as far as the first game goes, they um, Nash didn't have to play a whole lot because they were playing the 2004-2005 Hawks, the uh, <laughs> patron saints of our podcast, and they beat them pretty easily by 30 points. So he only played 24 minutes, had 12 points, 4 assists, and uh, 2 steals. The team started off that season 13-2 and two and uh, had a tremendous year. But from Dallas' perspective, the trade wasn't I – mean, losing Nash, you know, they allowed them to carve an identity around Dirk. They were, you know, a, a 60 almost plus win team the next three seasons, went to the finals in 06, had some playoff disappointments from 07 to uh, from to 2010. But then 2011, they ended up winning a championship. So, you know, things turned out pretty well for on the Dallas side, even though obviously um, talent wise, it was a mistake to, you know, give up Nash for basically nothing. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing, and I remember even at the time it, it, it was interesting from uh, the standpoint of you know Dallas hadn't really missed a beat without Nash, but then there was also it was it was this weird thing where Dallas was still doing well, but at the same time Phoenix was doing well, and it was just like this weird uh, you know juxtaposition of these two franchises that were doing well, and it's like man, if you had put Nash 
on this Dallas team, like how well would they have done? But I think it, it worked out for the best for for everybody involved because I mean the Suns obviously were able to get Nash who fit in perfectly with D'Antoni and, and Dallas. I thought you know as much as it hurt to lose Nash, they were able to then integrate you know Jason Terry a little bit more, get a little bit better defensively, and sort of change their identity as well throughout that time. And it, I think in a lot of ways it led them to, of course, you know the NBA Finals a few years after that, and then you know what eventually was the building blocks of their championship team years later with, you know, Jason Kidd and a lot of those things. And, and maybe it was getting rid of Nash that sort of changed their identity a little bit and made, held them kind of morph into something different than they were with Nash. But still, it was so hard to see Nash doing as well as he was and then seeing Dallas, you know, without Steve Nash. And it's like, ah, oh, geez, you had him. Like, just keep him. But I, but I, I think it worked out best for both uh, teams. And, and that's it's rare that a thing works that way where a guy leaves and, and, and the other franchise doesn't lose a ton, even though that guy goes and immediately makes a team, you know, really great as well. So it was, yeah. it, it was, it was I, I enjoyed it and it made it fun and it made Ed kind of a fun rivalry between the two teams as well, which was, was always fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, so a couple other instances of note for oh, can this. I, can I just briefly interrupt about Bubba Wells? Yeah. I can't believe we didn't. I, I, I didn't. I, I, I think I knew this, but I didn't know it was Bubba Wells. Uh, this is per Wikipedia. Bubba Wells holds the dubious distinction of being the player with the quickest disqualification due to personal fouls in an NBA season, uh, NBA regular season game in December 1997 against the Bulls. Then Mavericks coach Don Nelson employed a desperate tactic to limit the Bulls' offense. He inserted Wells into the game with the express purpose of fouling power forward Dennis Rodman, a notoriously poor, uh, poor free throw shooter, away from the ball. The plan failed because Rodman hit nine of twelve free throws, and Chicago went on to win the game 111-105. Uh, Wells fouled out late in the third quarter after, after registering his. Six personal foul in a total of three minutes played. Hmm. So Bubba Wells, there, <laughs> there, you, there go. you go. It's a bonus Bubba Wells fact. So that's a, a, that's good. Thank you, Rich, for for checking that. Yeah, out. no problem. And then there's something. The previous summer, Wells served as a supporter to Jones, his wife, uh, on the NBC game show Deal or No Deal. So uh, we'll have to record that episode <laughs> to see oh, Bubba, yeah. <laughs> Bubba Wells in the crowd cheering on his wife on Do- Deal or No Deal. So there. All right, so, well, there. keep keep that on. Yeah. <laughs> um. So other instances of this, only really a couple that that, that fit. Um, first would be Rick Barry for the words. Of course, we've talked about Rick Barry plenty on this uh, on this program. He uh, left the ABA or left the NBA for the ABA uh, for the Oakland Oaks in the nineteen sixty eight season. He tried to come back to the Warriors a couple seasons later, but a lawsuit blocked that. Eventually returned to the Warriors in 72 and 73 after five seasons away. Um, they would win a championship in 75, so that worked out pretty well for uh, them. Other one is uh, Will Chamberlain, who came back to the city of Philadelphia with the 76ers in 1965. The Warriors had left Philadelphia before the 63 season, and then Syracuse moved to Philly the next year, and then eventually Will made his way from the Warriors to the 76ers. So it, it's not exactly a situation because it's a different franchise but it's the same fan base i think it's certainly close enough and things worked out well the the um sixers won the uh, uh 76 uh nba championship against the warriors of all people against rick barry so uh nice little circle there but uh but yeah the, those would be kind of the two other instances that uh that stand out there are not really that many instances of NBA teams, you know, leaving a city and then coming to the same city, you know, only a couple of years later and, and no uh, particularly transcendent players that played for, you know, both uh, franchises that played in that city. So I think both is unique in that respect. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot of examples. And, and, and yeah, like we brought up, those are probably the only real important examples, real big examples that stand out uh, immediately. There, there are some ones of guys we're going to talk about here in a bit who, you know, were stars at one point, but then they come back and it's, it's, it's just not quite the same. 
Right. Yeah. They're. I mean, they're. They're not superstars anymore. They may have been at one point. Or, you know, all these guys were at one point. But you know, and, and some of them do contribute a, a lot, and then a, a few do not do a whole lot. Where it's, it's very much the end for them. And some guys, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it, it does work out pretty well. So the interesting contrast in the guys that we're going to talk about. Yeah, so this uh, this section is coming home while past their prime, as you mentioned. Superstars returning from uh, past their prime and coming, quote, home. And the first example, Scottie Pippen, of course, played for the Chicago Bulls from 1988 to 19, uh, or 1988 to 1998 and returned in 2004. So the background of that, uh, Scottie Pippen, after years of rumors and public cries of, of not getting paid what he was worth and, and rumors that he was going to get traded for Sean Kemp and every offseason, really. I mean, we, we've talked about that when we uh, we did a specific episode about Scottie Pippen many, many moods ago uh, about just every single offseason. And was like, all right, Pippen's going to get traded this offseason. Okay, he's going to get, and he was very vocal too about, uh, you know, I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. He he signed his contract before the the TV contracts and a lot of the money exploded in the NBA, and he was kind of locked in there and 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 was never, you know, given a different uh, a new deal by the Bulls. So he always was kind of notoriously underpaid, uh, contrary to you know his performance or whatever. So it, it was always kind of a rough situation. Uh, for him there, but uh, finally, uh, before the lockout shortened season in 98-99, he was traded. Uh, of course, the Bulls at this point had just wrapped up their second three-peat with uh, Jackson, Jordan, and Rodman, um, along with Pippen. Uh, those guys had all departed, and Pippen was the last one to go. Uh, Pippen, um, at the point uh, at, at the point he was traded, was the Bulls' second all-time leader in points, assists, and steals, and he was traded to the Houston Rockets in exchange for Roy Rogers and a second-round pick. I believe they drafted Jake Voskels for that, so uh, good little value there for Roy Rogers and Jake Voskel, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it did not work out that well. But hey, on the Houston side, it didn't really work out either. So hey, everybody. But uh, yeah, Pippen Strait, of course, received a ton of publicity. Uh, he got a cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, and his salary, thanks to his sign-and-trade deal at the Bulls did, uh, was $11 million. It was almost four times as much as his salary the previous season with the Bulls. So uh, he definitely got paid, and uh, it seemed like everything was going well. He was going to go to Houston, team up with Hakeem Olajuwon and Charles Barkley, and uh, it didn't work out that well because, of course, uh, they were a big disappointment, that team. And Pippen, uh, Ben, after that offseason, uh, requested a trade from Houston. I did have to leave these quotes in here because these are just too fantastic to let go, even though that's not really what we're talking about, but I can't. I, these quotes are just too too awesome. So this is uh, after Pippen had requested a trade and then he had, had been granted that trade and they, they've sent him over to Portland. Uh, Charles Barkley, um, he was quoted as saying, for him to want to leave after one year, it disappointed me greatly. The Rockets went out of their way to get Scotty and the fans have treated him well, so I was just disappointed in him. Scotty Pippen, his response was, I wouldn't give Charles Barkley an apology at gunpoint. He can never expect an apology from me. If anything, he owes me an apology for coming to play with his fat ass butt. So <laughs> his fat butt. I apologize. He did not say ass. I apologize, Scotty. No. He said butt, not ass. Yes. I, 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 so there you go. So uh, a lot of candor there from old Scotty. But uh, yes. yeah, there, there you go. But uh, we're not talking about his Portland tenure. We're going to talk about when he came back to the Bulls. And this was in the... Uh, July of 2003, Bulls general manager John Paxson pursued Pippen to return to his old team, which had little success following the breakup of the Bulls dynasty in 1998. The deal was made official July 20th, 2003, as Pippen signed a two-year, $10 million contract with the franchise. Uh, Pippen was quoted as saying, at the end of the day, I have trust and respect for Pax, who John Paxson, of course, who was the general manager. Uh, coming back to Chicago was a huge factor, but John Paxson tipped the scales. So I did not know this, though. Pippen, uh, he had a lot of suitors this offseason. Pippen entertained uh, interest from seven NBA teams and offers from multiple teams, uh, including he did not. But but rumors were the San Antonio Spurs and the contending Dallas Mavericks both sent things in. But he right away, once the Bulls reached out and once Paxson reached out, he signed with them and did not listen to offers uh, from either of those, even though there was interest coming th- from those teams. But uh, 
Eh, we'll see if how that worked out. I'm going to guess probably not well. And if you know history, it didn't go too well. But uh, expectation-wise, uh, here's Pippen's quote when he signed. Uh, I think I know how to win games in the NBA. It might sound simple, but both winning and losing become, can become a mindset. And I won't accept losing ever. Whether it's on the floor, in the huddle, at practice, or just demonstrating a winning leadership, I plan on helping this team win. In his first game back, October 29, 2003, versus the Washington Wizards. Michael Jordan had departed already the prior year, so don't worry. They did not play each other. Uh, Pippen played 31 minutes. He scored seven points and grabbed seven rebounds. So, hey, not not bad. Not bad, you know, from from a older Scotty Pippen, a guy who had some, you know, in, injury history the past few years. And then the injury history uh, reared its ugly head because things did not turn out well. The Bulls won seven less games than they had the year prior. Uh, Pippen only played in 23 games. And then in February 2nd, 2004, he played the last game of his NBA career against the Seattle Supersonics. He scored two points, had three assists, and one rebound in only eight minutes of play. So it did not work out well for Pippen. And that was it for him after that one year with the Bulls. And he, of course, would then retire. Uh, he, he got a front office job with the Bulls is, is kind of a cushy, you know. He sits on the sideline and drinks <laughs> like they pay him for. It, but, so not hey. a bad gig. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's, he's still with, I believe he's still with the organization in some capacity. But, uh, yeah, this was his return, but didn't work out very well on the floor floor but uh we did want to mention too a kind of a bonus here charles oakley uh his uh former teammate of scotty pippen he returned um to the bulls uh in 2001 he started 36 of 57 games uh he averaged 3.8 points per game six rebounds and two assists not too bad but uh the next year he would reunite with former bulls teammate and friend uh, michael jordan in washington so he'd play uh, one year in in chicago then go to washington then i think he bounced around i think he was in houston one year uh, before he finally retired. But he did come back as well to uh, a lot less fanfare than Scottie Pippen did, but still uh, a comeback from another guy from that emerging uh, Bulls team in the late 80s. So, yes. so uh, speaking of not working out well, uh, George McGinnis, the <laughs> uh, the new Hall of Famer. I sh- shouldn't, shouldn't tease George. Yeah, obviously, congratulations to him for making the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, and he had been you know, a, a dominant star for the Pacers in the uh, ABA. He shared the 1975 MVP with Julius Irving. You know, led them to uh, two championships and three finals appearances while he played there. Um, and uh, as uh, finances for the Pacers became precarious, he eventually was wooed by the NBA, ended up with the uh, 76ers for the 76 season, and then eventually would be joined by Irving once the league's merged. And they had uh, some, a few years together. And then he was traded to the Nuggets of 479, where he'd have his last All-Star season. Um and, you know, the way that he was felt there, he also was a star at Indiana University for a season and, you know, had his roots there. Um, even you know, immediately after he left, he was given a huge ovation um, in Indianapolis by fans during a return during an exhibition game. So, you know, the there were not the hard feelings when he left uh, like there are in certain circumstances. I think everyone understood, the, you know, the situation, why he left and, you know, and people were mostly uh, fine with it, which is a refreshing attitude, quite frankly. Uh, so he ended up coming back in, um, uh, in 1980, uh, was traded, uh, for Alex English and a first round pick. Uh, Alex English would go on to eight all-star games to become a hall of famer. It would not, uh, this is definitely sort of the end of McGinnis's career. We'll get into details in a minute, but it was definitely quite an uneven trade. And, uh, you know, he was, he was brought back, you know, um, uh, Slick Leonard said in his book that he thought he could get another couple of good years out of uh, McGinnis, that he thought, you know, he was only 29 at the time. It didn't seem like um, he, he definitely struggled a bit that season, but it wasn't like uh, you know, he'd just been an all-star the year before. So it wasn't like, you know, absolutely um, it was going to be a disaster. It was more like just thinking, OK, he's 29, maybe just needs to change scenery. Things are going to be OK. And there's even a Washington Post uh, piece written about it where um, – 
you know, like it was written from the, uh, you know, the Bolts perspective, since obviously the Bolts were the hometown favorite, but basically like, oh, look out for Indiana now, you know, even though he's, he's struggled a little bit this year, he's, you know, averaged all of these, you know, incredibly uh, great seasons before. And, you know, he, he thinks that he could really do well. And um, in his first game back, according to uh, Mark Monteith, he received a one minute standing ovation, was introduced before the game and his return, in fact, sold out Marcus Square Arena and they lost to Philadelphia, uh, by one he had 14 points and 13 rebounds uh playing off the bench so the first game back was a success despite the uh, loss uh unfortunately things did not work out as well as we alluded to they finished nine and 16 after mcginnis joined they were in the playoff race and they ended up missing the ad playoffs they didn't make the playoffs the next season um they lost to the uh, sixers in a 2-0 series uh and then the following year i mean mcginnis definitely was you know he was a um he was a below average player, but he wasn't terrible for those two seasons. And then 82, he was, his play got really, really bad. He uh, was averaging just 4.7 points off the bench. And uh, he was released in training camp in 82. He was offered a press conference and a farewell ceremony, but he refused to retire. He asked to be put on waivers instead so he'd be available to other teams. Unfortunately, nobody called. Oh, so, that's so sad. Yeah, that is, that is sad. But he did, uh, after being overlooked for so many years, he has finally made the uh, Hall of Fame. So uh, so congratulations yeah, to him again. congrats to him. Well-deserved, too. There's still a few, uh, there's yeah. few, still a few snubs out there, but uh, we're good. We're glad we're knocking off some of the list, too. So Absolutely. Um, yeah, he was. He's definitely deserving. So I'm, I'm glad to see him getting in there as well. Good Hall of Fame <laughs> class in general. I, I I really like this class. You know, it's not oh, yeah. what this podcast is about, but you know, good, good class. And I think they got a few guys that that have been waiting uh, for a while in there, and and hopefully there's a few more now uh, in the next few seasons that can finally get in there. But uh, yeah, no, good, good. Yeah, good we like it when good players make the Hall of Fame. Exactly. Yes. Yes. We are pro that. Yes. <laughs> right. All right, so now we got to Allen Iverson, nineteen ninety seven to two thousand six. Obviously, a Philadelphia seventy sixer, and then he came back in two thousand ten. You might not remember, and if you don't remember, that's probably for the better because it was no good. So, uh, how he left after years of disappointment and disagreements between Iverson and the franchise that uh, loved him so dear, uh, he was traded December two thousand six to the Denver Nuggets. Uh, earlier in the year, rumors had swirled around a team. Um, that Iverson had demanded a trade. Uh, went so far as uh, Sixers GM uh, Ed Snyder confirmed the trade rumors in a game against the Washington Wizards on ESPN, said, we're going to trade him. At a certain point, you have to come to grips with the fact that it's not working. He wants out, and we're ready to accommodate him. And I remember that going on. It was like the most awkward thing ever. It was like, okay, like that's not the best way to have leverage, but okay, if that's fine. Uh, they were able, though, to trade him. The Philadelphia 76ers sent Iverson and Ford, even, McF- uh, even McFarlane. I don't know anything about uh, I- Ivan, Ivan or McFarlane. even McFarlane, yeah. uh, whatever. I, he'll, we'll never speak of him again uh to the Denver Nuggets for Andre Miller Joe Smith and two first round picks in the 2007 NBA draft uh at the time of the trade Iverson was the NBA's number two leading scorer with new teammate Carmelo Anthony being number one how could this go wrong (laughs) well it didn't go horribly wrong they they were okay but I ended up not working all that well uh but then Iverson would come back to the Philadelphia 76ers in November of 2009 after some uh, uneven 10 years with Denver. Uh, then he moved on to Detroit and then he also moved on to the Memphis Grizzlies as well. I can confirm that that one happened. I know that there is some issue if that Memphis Grizzlies uh Allen Iverson one and I I've conf- I've seen video it has happened. So Okay, uh, in case enough. in case you were wondering if that Memphis because it, it is you know the Memphis Grizzlies ten years and stuff and Minnesota Timberwolves it can get a little bit no he did play for the Memphis Grizzlies I can confirm that but uh, uh, of course it, 
November 2009, Iverson returned to the Sixers. Uh, team made the decision to pursue Iverson after their starting guard, Lou Williams, suffered a broken jaw and was expected to miss at least 30 games. Uh, the expectations at this point were, eh. I mean, Iverson, his star had faded quite a bit, and he had no longer had the scoring ability uh, he did during his prime. There was a few factors. He was, of course, getting there in age. Uh, personal shape, he didn't really keep himself in tip-top shape. Uh, injuries, and then just the general wear and tear of being a little guy doing what he did on the court and and, and playing such a rough style for his size. It, it Eventually, it was going to kind of creep up on him, and at this point, it really had. But there were still some pretty decent expectations that he would fit into a pretty talented roster. Um, he made his return on December 7, 2009, versus the Denver Nuggets, ironically enough. Uh, he garnered a thunderous ovation from the sold-out crowd. He finished the game with 11 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, a steal, and no turnovers. He was quoted as saying, I had chill bumps running all through my body the whole game. I just felt like I was back home. It was deja vu, just a really good feeling. The man's The fans made it hard on me because they made me more nervous than I already was. So cool little quotes there. Um, didn't really work out all that well overall. The Sixers, who were who were bad prior to Iverson coming, uh, was which is actually interesting because this roster is very talented and it didn't really work and the pieces didn't really come together. But here, here's who they had on the roster: uh, they had Andre Iguodala, uh, the aforementioned Lou Williams, uh, El, of course, Allen Iverson came later, Thaddeus Young, Elton Brand, Willie Green, Maurice Spates, Samuel Dalembert, and Drew Holiday, and of course Jason Capono. I should not uh, leave out Jason yeah. Capono, but that's yeah. a good little roster. But it like makes no sense when you combine all these pieces. But like every one of those pieces was able to do well on like another team, but just never really worked out uh, altogether with those. But um, yeah, well, those were that was kind of the basic, you know, Doug Collins um, team that made like the conference finals or, yeah, or yeah. second round or whatever. I mean, they, they had a, you know, they were like a 45, 51 team. They were all right. But yeah, um, I mean, a couple of those guys were still pretty young at that point. Yeah, and, 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 and Derek Rose injury hurt, so. certain help, certainly helped them get to the next round. Well, they, 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 they lucked into that a little bit. Yeah, but, yeah. but they still... No, they, were, yeah, they were a decent team. They, 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 they were, got yeah, together. They weren't garbage, is my point. You know? No, no, no. This year, they were they were bad, but it was kind of coalescing a little bit, but it, it got a little yeah. bit better um, yeah. the prior years. But uh, yeah, as far as with Iverson, it didn't really work out well. Uh, February 22nd, 2010, uh, Iverson left the 76ers indefinitely. He cited the need to attend uh, to his four-year-old daughter who was having health issues. So that... Uh, Tenure did not work all that well, and uh, numbers weren't great, and that was the end of Allen Iverson's uh, NBA career as well. So uh, not a good way for him to go out, really, and not a good way, especially going back to his hometown and, and really seeing that star fade. But uh, he's not alone. There are quite a few other guys that have, <laughs> have met a similar fate. Yes, yeah, and, and unfortunately. Yeah, and, and um, I, I remember in – we both read it, the, the Kent Babb book, Not a Game, Iverson, which we talked about on the podcast. I mean, I, there was a – a, a thought that Iverson still saw himself as the old Iverson, still saw himself as a star and thought like, okay, this is going to be my show again. I'm going to be in charge where they, you know, the team saw it more as like, okay, he's kind of, you know, this is a nice thing for the fans. He's a stopgap, but obviously had a more realistic sense of who he was at that point where they were, he just was, you know, kind of deluded into thinking that the good times were going to last forever, which obviously uh, uh, is unfortunate. Um, so the other guys who are included in uh, sort of this category, um, Elvin Hayes, who after uh, winning a championship with the uh, Bullets, went back to the Rockets where he initially had played. Alonzo Mourning, of course, with the Heat, who would you know later win a championship in 06 with uh, with Shaq and, and Dwayne Wade. Uh, Jason Kidd returning to the Mavs in the late 2000s. That was kind of a controversial trade at the time because they gave a pretty good young point guard in Devin Harris, but that worked out well. They won the championship in 2011. Uh, Moses Malone had a second stint with the Sixers in the 90s. Bob Dandridge, very end of his career, uh, played again for the Bucks after he went to the Bullets. Uh, the Pistons, they, they loved that early, the 2000s teams, because they brought back uh, Ben Wallace, Chauncey Billups, and Tayshaun Prince for a uh, second run. <laughs> oh, I forgot um, about the Tayshaun Prince one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, and, and, and Billups and Prince would actually play for other 
other teams, again, if they, they didn't even retire as uh, Pistons. Wallace did, but the other guys did. And uh, Chauncey Billups also played twice with the uh, Nuggets. Um, and, and the second stint was supposed to kind of be like his I'm um, coming home because he also played at the University of Colorado. So he was, you know, didn't do much for in his first stint with the Nuggets, but obviously became a star in Detroit, came back during the uh, Allen Iverson trade of all, of all things. And uh, it was supposed to be like, you know, I, OK, I'm, I'm going to visit organization for my entire career. I'm going to retire here. I'm going to be part of the front office. And that uh, didn't happen. He was part of the Carmelo trade to uh, for the Knicks. Um, Kevin Garnett, of course, coming back to the Timberwolves. Uh, of course, that not ending particularly well for, uh, I guess, the relationships there. Uh, Artis Gilmore, he had a second stint with the Bulls at the very end of his career. Roger Brown and Freddie Lewis had second stint with the Pacers toward the end of their career. Billy Knight also was with the Pacers. And, and Paul Westphal with the Suns, he had a run at the uh, very end, uh, I think, 83 or 84 uh, at the very end of his career. So, And there's there are probably, again, there, there are probably other ones that we you know forgot about. But so... I think we're going to move on to the next category, which is uh, players where there was uh, a quick do-over, where there was you know remorse about them leaving and bringing them back uh, fairly quickly. I think this is kind of where Lance mostly uh, fits in. And uh, I'm going to talk first about Anton Walker, who um, was traded, uh, had played for the Celtics 96 to 2003, then again would come back uh, for a mini run in 2005. Just nine days before the um, 04 season began, he was actually traded uh, to Dallas with Tony Delk for Rafe LaFrentz, Chris Mills, Jerry Welsh, and a first-round pick that turned out to be Delonte West. Rafe LaFrentz was infamous for having a terrible contract at the time, which did not go well for the um, – this was right after um, – Danny Age had come in and was, he was sort of you know leading his imprint on the uh, team. Um, and as a, a TV analyst, uh, he um, – basically did not uh, hide the fact that he was not a big fan of Anton Walker's game. And then after he was traded, his comment was that uh, he had quite a grasp on the franchise. Uh, He's been the best player here for quite a while. He's been a vocal leader in the locker room. Now we're headed in a different direction, making it clear that, you know, it wasn't there. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Anton Walker is kind of a running joke now, but he was actually a, you know, a pretty effective player uh, during his time. The, the big thing was that he his shooting percentage was very low, but and he was not a good defender at all, and he was considered shooting too many three-pointers at the time. But in his career in Boston, he did shoot around 33%, um, which, you know, not, not bad for his position, although the percentage varied very greatly from season to season. His true shooting percentage in his peak years was only like around 49%. So, you know, he, but he did do good things. I mean, he was versatile. He had like a lot more assists per game than I remembered. So, I mean, he could do a range of things, but, um, uh, you know, he definitely had his faults, but he also had his positives, which I think are not well remembered. No, I, I agree. Yeah, people, uh, and it probably partially was, you know, the area he was playing in. Uh, people kind of, because he, he was uh, at that point a chucker, you know what I mean? Like putting up five, you know, threes a game. He's like, oh my God, what are you doing? You're just chuck or whatever. But like, yeah, it wasn't, he was, wasn't playing bad basketball at any point. I mean, there was some issues with him. Of course, the defense left a lot to be desired. But, uh, you know, the shots, yeah, he took uh, some silly shots here and there, but he made a lot of really good shots too. And that was his game. Like it was one of those things where, you know, the second you told him, don't do this, don't be aggressive, you lost all that made Anton Walker special and all that made him a, a very good player. And, and yeah, like you said, he's a 
running joke, but but that the Celtics team they had a solid little core there with a Pierce and with, with Anton Walker, and Walker was just as much of a, a part of that as Paul Pierce was. Of course, you, you know history sees it differently because you know Antoine gets sent away and and kind of scuffles after that, and and Pierce then teams up with you know KJ and Ray Allen and all those guys and becomes you know a world champion or whatever. But uh, Antoine Walker was just as much of a piece as Paul Pierce in those early years as well. And yeah, he, he he's kind of a joke now, and that's really not fair because he was very good for a time. Yeah, I, I agree. So. He came back uh, after the year in Dallas. He went to the uh, Hawks, uh, the 2004-2005 Hawks that we're uh, fond of. Uh, they were going nowhere, 13-win uh, season. So he was traded back to the Celtics for Gary Payton, Tom Gugliotta, Michael Stewart, and a uh, first-round pick that eventually became Rajon Rondo. The Celtics got it back later. I'm not going to bother explaining how that happened. Uh, and this was Dr. <laughs> the Rivers sons are first... cheap. <laughs> That's how. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> right. Uh, this was Doc Rivers' first season as a Celtics coach. Uh, he obviously wanted to be on a winner. And um, Ainge had said that, you know, he, um, you know, he, he, he said he had for a long time not wanted to bring him back. But then he said, you know, I think he improves our team right now. It doesn't jeopardize our future. We've been in discussions with Atlanta for about a month. They were looking at taking some of my pieces for the future. Today, the price came right and the risk came low. So basically, it was like, well, we have nothing to lose. Why not? <laughs> and um, the owner was a little bit more uh, optimistic about it, said uh, he, he brings a much-needed presence under the boards and a proven winner back to Boston. Uh, we're making a playoff push and our focus on make, on becoming a better, bigger team down the stretch. And um, his uh, first game back in Boston was a win against the Lakers. He uh, 16 points on 6 of 17 shooting, 13 rebounds, and 4 blocks, which uh, was not usually part of his game. But he actually wore the number 88 at first and then switched with Al Jefferson, who was number 8, to uh, go back to his old number. Um, so from a uh, Bill Simmons column of the uh, time, um, basically says that he felt like, you know, when Anton Walker left, you know, they were happy. It's like, you know, all his bad habits were there. But then... Uh, he felt like, you know, with Pierce and the other guys, they just didn't have the same spark. They missed his competitive spirit and, uh, you know, said that he always cared. And that uh, so when he came back, they were kind of happy that he came back. And it actually led to a you know pretty good uh, run for the Celtics. They won 11 of their uh, first 12 games after he came back. They made the playoffs and they lost in the first round to the Pacers. It was it took them to seven and they did build some fun memories with Paul Pierce again. So, you know, overall, it was a nice, you know, short term, nice little story, nice little thing of creating memories. But the uh, Celtics were uh, – Probably smart to go in a different direction afterward. They ended up trading um, Antoine to the Heat for a in one of the biggest deals in NBA history. Five teams, 13 players. And uh, he ended up winning a championship for the Heat in 2006. Was actually an important player for that, but mm -hmm. he really fell off uh, right afterward. And uh, unfortunately, he's best known for, at this point, losing $110 million in earnings for uh, his career. Yeah, it's <laughs> not fun, but yeah, yeah I, 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 it worked out pretty well for Walker, I think, because you know, getting away from Atlanta, I think, was was a positive thing for him, and and, and going to the Boston, and yeah, was, I remember even at the time it was a fun little thing to go on, and and, and he's in a lot of ways kind of resurrected his career and got back uh, the idea that, that that Walker could be a decent piece uh, of a uh, of a good team, and I think that led to Miami then, of course, getting him, and yeah, people will, will again forget, like you said, he's kind of a laughing stock, but forget that he was a big part of that team and a big uh, floor spacer for a team that that sorely needed that uh, that Miami 
Miami team because you had Wade, who was of course very much a you, you know a, a get to the basket type guy, and and Shaq, who of course always is around the basket. So you uh, having a guy like a Walker really did you know spread the floor, and it was finally a time when his skills could kind of get utilized the best. But like you said, he very quickly fell off a, a cliff, and I think he had that one year in Minnesota that's completely forgettable as well before uh, it was all said and done for him. But uh, yeah, it, it was a fun little season for Walker and and a player that probably doesn't get his due for for a multitude of reasons, you know, historically. But maybe maybe we'll lead the charge of of, of the Antoine Walker respect fund or something. So yeah, we've seen some good video clips of uh, of Antoine Walker. I'm sure you know he he'd have that like oh if he played in this era he'd have been great. Kind yeah, of yeah. Not, not quite sure about that, but I mean he was a fun player and I I enjoyed watching him. So it was really fun. He had the shimmy. I mean, come on, the shimmy. Yeah. God, the shimmy. Yeah. <laughs> like, how could you he, not love the shimmy? Yeah, he made a lot of those Hawks games bearable, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah, some other key players who were uh, kind of in the same category, uh, Tyson Chandler for the Mavs. You could also put J.J. Barea in there. Both those guys kind of came back, at, you know, after that championship run. Uh, Chandler left again, of course. Um, he Turgaloo with the uh, Magic came back soon after he went away in free agency. Derek Fisher with the uh, Lakers came back a few years later. was there for their second round of championships in the 2000s. Sean Elliott with the Spurs spent one season with the Pistons, came back right away. Mark Jackson for the uh, Pacers uh, in the uh, mid-90s, left briefly for Denver and, and came back. Uh, Kirk Heinrich, uh, actually done it for both the Bulls and the Hawks. <laughs> so um, we, we both feel the same pain, so I'm glad. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Al Harrington for the uh, Pacers. Uh, the second stint was very brief. He ended up being part of that big trade to the Warriors. was part of that, but we believe Warriors team Antonio McDice with the Nuggets Antonio Davis with the Raptors and A Jones with the Heat and then we'll move on to uh, another category here reminders of a past era and these are players who were important in the distant past um, but didn't really uh, come back and and uh, re- try to replicate their old success but it, it, it just did not work out very well uh, at all yeah. and that's uh, first guy I'm gonna come up with is Steve Francis here of course with the Houston Rockets uh, famously, he was overshadowed in his own trade because he was sent to Orlando for Tracy McGrady. I was a few other players as well. Kevin Cato, Catino uh, Mobley, Jawan Howard, Tyron Lue, Reese Gaines. But the, the bulk of the trade was Francis leaving the Rockets, going to the Magic, uh, McGrady coming from Orlando back to Houston. Uh, a lot of the, the, you know, Houston at that point had you know, Yao Ming and was a pretty solid team under coach uh, Jeff Van Gundy. So that was seen as a trade where, you know, Houston was really solidifying themselves, whereas Orlando was a bad team and, and Francis was going to a, a not great team. And there's some as well that Francis was kind of gun shy about doing it but then sort of got convinced that hey you know I'm going to be the leader of this team that's rebuilding and you know next year you know if we get the number one pick we'll get Dwight Howard and like we can build some things here and and see what we can do and and yeah it it didn't work out very well but uh, after three years of struggles in both Orlando and New York we will not talk about the New York Knicks tenure because that's even more depressing uh, Francis returned to the Houston Rockets and uh, Francis was made available uh, when the remaining two years and $34 million of his previous contract were bought out by Portland, uh, who had just acquired Francis in a deal with the Knicks. Uh, the trade was uh, the Knicks uh, traded Francis and Channing Fry to the Portland Trailblazers for Dan Dickow, Fred Jones, and Zach Randolph. So it kickstarted the old Zach Randolph New York Knicks tenure. So uh, ah, good times in old Knicks land. But luckily, they're a stable franchise now and everything's working out well for them. So yep. uh, <laughs> luckily, they've, they've seen past that era. And now they're just a, a solid franchise that's always looking towards the future. But uh, uh, with money being no factor, Francis chose the Rockets over the Miami Heat, the Dallas Mavericks, and the Los Angeles Clippers. The, the Dallas Mavericks will literally sign anybody. Like, every single guy <laughs> they will. Yes. They've been like, hey, you, you want to come here? Like, no, I'm going to go here. Okay, fine, no problem. Like, yeah. every single player. They've always tried to sign. Like, remember, didn't they have, like, Sean Kemp come in for a tryout, 
like six years ago, like way past like Sean Kemp's time. Like they will just Eddie Curry, I think, even tried out for that. Like they will just anybody. I, they will just, I, I I can't back off this. I, I I think it was more than six years ago for Sean Kemp, but you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> my timeline like, might be a little off there. But yeah, but but you know, I'm going I don't think it. he was playing on the 2011 team. I don't think there was any chance of you know. Him we need another rim protector, Tyson. Uh, yes. Do you mind if we bring Sean Kemp back? <laughs> what 50 year old Sean Kemp? You know, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong about time. Maybe I'm just. Maybe I'm not as old as they. Th- maybe yeah. I'm, I'm starting to get old, Jason. That's the problem. It's it's okay because to it, me, six it, it, years it, it, is still like 2005, and it, it's not. So, damn it. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, yeah. So of course, so, uh, as again, you know, so their money wasn't a factor, so it chose the Rockets, the hometown. Uh, expectations were, yeah, they were okay. The top option during his five year stint with the club. Uh, the club. This is a quote from a, an article. He will know. Uh, he will be no more than the third option behind uh, Trace McGrady and Yao Ming. Uh, the team was in the midst of a great run at this uh, great run at this point. They had won. 52 games the year prior so francis was just the guy we just kind of needed him off the bench didn't really need him to be the guy just uh, a guy that could come out there and, and score a little bit and uh, it worked out for a little bit uh, he had eight points in 23 minutes in his debut uh, or re-debut rather with the rockets uh, november 17 2007 versus the phoenix suns uh, he was quoted as saying it's been great they've been sticking behind me no matter what hopefully this is the start of for me to continue to get playing time trying to help this team win so uh, how do things turn out? Well, they turned out well for the Houston Rockets. They won 55 games that year, but uh, Francis was barely a factor. He averaged 5.5 points and three assists in 10 games uh, before undergoing season-ending surgery stemming from an earlier quadricep tendon injury. Uh, he used his contract option to come back to the Houston Rockets for the 2008-2009 NBA season, uh, but he was not able to play at the beginning of the season due to the recovery of his injury. Uh, and then on December 24th, 2008, the Houston Rockets traded Steve Francis back to the team that had originally drafted him, the Memphis Grizzlies, except now uh, the team was located, or except, you know, they were then the Vancouver Grizzlies, then they, you know, of course became the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, this trade was for a uh, 2011 conditional draft pick, uh, and the move allowed the Rockets to drop under the luxury tax threshold. Uh, on January 27, 2009, uh, Francis was waived by the Grizzlies without ever appearing in a game for them, and then no other team ever expressed interest in Steve Francis. So that was yeah. it uh, at the end of the Steve Francis era. So it uh, seemed like a pretty good... What sucks, though, is is I, I really wanted to see him in that role because we talked about Iverson, and he seemed a little unwilling to do the bench role, the, oh, that's fine, I'll just be a guy on the team, and, and sort of thing. But Francis seemed to embrace it a little bit with that return to the Rockets, but just his health uh, wasn't there. And, of course, he's had issues, you know, in the post-NBA career as well. But I was always fascinated to see if he would have done well in, like, a Jamal Crawford role or a guy that just, uh, you know, has to come off the bench and, and don't have to really worry about a whole lot, but just go out there, you know, play your 15 minutes and score as much as you can. I'd be interested to see that because I, I do love seeing guys like that. I mean, Vince Carter has really carved out an entire new era of his career being that sort of guy. So it would have been fun to see if Francis uh, would have done that. But, of course, uh, injuries robbed us of, of, of that. So it didn't happen. Yeah, I um, I agree. And, and Francis was a really fun player for a time. He was really, you know, kind of fierce and athletic. Um, I mean, he, he nowhere even nearly as good as Russell Westbrook. But in terms of being a guy who just, like, could athletically wow you as a guard and was you know, pretty good at getting the basket, like, that's, you know, um, hey. He was he was kind of the uh, he was like thirty percent of Russell Westbrook in the early, of the early two thousands. That's the best we had at the time. So. Yeah, not the same uh, explosiveness, but no, I mean, if you watch well, highlights I, of him, yeah, no, I, I, he was yeah, explosive. I, I mean, he really was. Yeah. I mean, there's some stuff that you see, especially for his size, too, because I think, I, I forgot where he measured up, but I think he's even uh, shorter than Russell Westbrook by, by a few yeah. inches, if I remember correctly. But, you know, it, there was a, a couple years there where he was a very dynamic player, but he just fell off so quick, and, and his body just right. fell apart, too. So, yeah, yeah. You, you lose a little bit of that where people don't really necessarily see him as one of those dynamic, explosive players. But but he, he, he was. I mean, yeah, yeah 
comparing him directly to Russ, I, I don't know about that, but but right, he was right. you know the, the poor man's Russell Westbrook at that time. I'd say. And, and I, I, I was trying to put as many caveats as I could on that <laughs> while still making the comparison. No, no, so no, perhaps, and I don't think you're wrong. If people go look at highlights, I think they'll be very surprised because uh, a lot of people, especially if you, you kind of follow the NBA now, you probably remember more of the Nick C. Francis, and, and that's you, you don't want to remember Nick C. Francis. So, no, you don't. So yeah. if you think so, if you're listening to this and you're thinking of Nick Steve Francis, go to YouTube and look up Steve Francis uh, Houston Rockets, and then you can cleanse yeah. your body a little bit. If, if you can handle looking at those uniforms, the uniforms yes. are hideous. Yes, but yes. Uh, right. a few of those yeah. Yao Ming years were pretty fun. I, I like that first year or so with with Yao. So yeah, yeah, good times. So uh, a few other guys notable in this category, uh, AC Green, who had a second stint with the Lakers, actually won a championship in 2000. Uh, Byron Scott, who uh, his final season was Kobe's first year. Uh, Vlade Divac, who was whose uh, final season was Kobe's uh, first post Shaq year. Um, and uh, Lakers let, let you do that. Uh, Spud Webb, who had a second run with the Hawks in the uh, late 90s. Kevin Willis, who was part of the uh, <laughs> uh, 0405 Hawks. Uh, See, Kevin Willis can there. play when he's 50. Why couldn't Sean Kemp's? <laughs> fair point. They both got themselves uh, in peak physical form their entire careers so i don't see why not. sure sure definitely yeah uh steven jackson had a second stint with the spurs uh, chris weber went back to the warriors at the end of his career it was not a good uh, experience and uh dale davis who returned to the uh, pacers for a uh, second stint as well so and uh we'll go through a few more uh ones of uh, interest these are more just uh these were necessarily weren't that notable players on their teams but um this uh Worth noting anyway, uh, a lot of these came from a, a good basketball insiders piece on guys in two cents on with uh, one team. Uh, a, f- a couple guys have had three stints with one team. Uh, Leander Barbosa with the Suns and uh, who's also on the Suns right now. Steve Blake with the Trailblazers. Uh, t- and uh, three players have had two stints with three franchises. Uh, Matt <laughs> Barnes with the uh, Clippers, Kings and Warriors. Uh, Manute Ball with the uh, Bullets, Warriors and 76ers. And Joe Smith with the Sixers, Timberwolves and Cavs. Um, and guys who have had two stints with two franchises, uh, John Sammons with the uh, Kings and uh, Bucks, uh, Tim Thomas with the Knicks and Bulls, and Theo Ratliff with the Pistons and 76ers. And then other guys with two stints with one franchise, uh, Jared Dudley who's with the uh, Suns now, uh, Tyreek Evans with the Kings now, Brad Miller with the Bulls, Mo Williams with the Jazz, Devin Harris with the Mavs, Shane Battier with the Grizzlies, Mike Miller with the Grizzlies, Derek Coleman with the 76ers, Horace Grant with the Magic, completely forgot about a second stint there, <laughs> Yeah, uh, but, yeah. Chris, Chris Gatling with the Heat, and Delonte West with the Celtics. And there you go. That's quite a list. <laughs> Those are yes. good guys. So, and again, I'm sure we've forgotten some. Yes. Probably, uh, m- well, please maybe let us know the, if we have. You know, uh, at, at Overback NBA, please do let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, uh, on Facebook or Twitter, either way, at Overback NBA. Uh, you can also um, you can also find us if you go to the Step Back at uh, Fansided.com and uh, leave some story comments or just uh, click on our links, click on the other good stuff that's uh, going on there. And uh, and yeah, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back again soon. 